This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. as we call it, OG, here on Triple R's Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio Show with Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are, it is entitled, well, it's the number two, THX1186, and our title is Solo, A Hands Drink. <laughs> and podcast title today is Life is a Potteray, which is in honour of our first guest, which is... Phil Davies, and we'll be coming up with Phil in a moment because he's going to talk about Marveled, an original parody cabaret at the Melbourne Cabaret Festival. I thought I knew every festival in Melbourne, but that one, well, so we're going to find out more about that. Meanwhile, it has been announced on Thursday morning that Etihad Stadium will be renamed Marvel Stadium. <laughs> In a new partnership with the Walt Disney Corporation, the Marvel store there, and of course they're going to have a Marvel store, will take up about 50 square metres. I'm not quite sure if that's in... Really? Yeah. Sounds like a pretty big store. That's a lot. <laughs> I, I expect that they'll be having uh, gladiatorial contests there in the uh, in the stadium. They'll be like World War Hulk, uh, that kind <laughs> of thing. We can only hope. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think as someone who loves footy and loves Marvel, maybe it's all just all too much... For one. For one. (laughs) (laughs) Not for me. Hi, this is Joss Whedon, creator of Serenity, Buffy and Angel. Welcome to New Melbourne, home of fish, fish-based activities, Zero-G and Radio 3 Triple R FM. Triple R, it's independent radio and it aims to misbehave. Hello, how are you today, Megan? I'm quite good, thank you. You're looking very um, Iron Man-y today. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is amazing. The, um, when I walked in, the new headphones are in red and gold. <laughs> so I, I It's been very a very good week for you and stuck. things that have become unexpectedly Marvel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, the tram that I came in today was advertising the Avengers station. Mm. So I got out from a door and looked on the side and it was Iron Man on the side of the tram. There you go. So it's all, all, all good going here at the moment. Uh, Phil, that was just one of my um, extensors on the repulsor gauntlet squeaking there. <laughs> Need some oil. So talking to Phil Davies. Hello, Phil. Hi, how are you, Rob? And Phil is doing a cabaret. Mm, I am. At uh, the Butterfly Club. Mm-hmm. It's called Marveled, an original parody cabaret. Runs from the 4th to the 9th of June and about 7pm each night. Costs mm. $25 to 32 Uh Yep. And you can get tickets at thebutterflyclub.com. I'll put all this information yes. up at the website at rrr.org. .au, so you'll know afterwards about it. Now, I did say that it was part of the uh, Melbourne Cabaret Festival. I was wrong. <laughs> I, I'm incorrect there. 
Uh, so you're independently crazy. Phil. Yeah, independently crazy. That's the best kind. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, I was looking at some definitions. I always thought the cabaret was a German invention, but, you know, from the movie and that, but I went back in time to 1655 mm. and found out uh, it derives from a tavern, probably from Middle Dutch Cambrai. So then it flows on to a, a form of theatrical entertainment featuring music, song, dance, recitation or drama. So really, basically, it's a show with, with dinner, yeah, dinner, well, and, dinner and a show. Yeah, well, when um, I didn't know what cabaret was and I asked, what is cabaret? People were just like, it's anything, Phil. It's whatever <laughs> you want to do, really, on stage. And you just call it a cabaret and that's how you define it. <laughs> People don't like anything that's not defined. So... Um, we won't we won't pigeonhole you too no much, yeah. no because we wouldn't dare because it's Marvel that's right <laughs> Marvel Woo. well humor's pretty much built into most of the Marvel comic mm. books the characters the movies and the TV shows mm. uh, and Marvel's actually pretty good at the self parody in its own mm. right everything from Deadpool to not brand X <laughs> comic books which I remember from the 60s right uh, the modern day superhero squad which is a highly anarchic children's animated series right uh, so they're really good into they've gotten into sending themselves up as well mm. so what are you adding to that that dimension yeah well because marvel really takes it, it's really focusing on the um mcu so the marvel cinematic universe uh-huh. um taking inspiration from all the movies um and so the show in in my head is a bit of a, a love letter to the first phases of movies that we've actually seen to the first 19 films that have come out um this show really focuses on probably the first part of those so the big the big four kind uh-huh. of characters iron man thor hulk captain america um black widow hawkeye i talk about all those heroes uh-huh. um, but i do mention then the later heroes such as um doctor strange or war machine falcon they all come up in in small little parts uh-huh. um yeah but um i've just been really inspired by uh, the MCU, it's one of my favourite things in the world to follow. Um, when I first uh, started dating my girlfriend, she hadn't seen any of them. So I was like, let's go from the start. Plenty so to did. look plenty to look through. That's right. Yeah. So now she's up to date and can name them all in order. That Was it, that a call from um, uh, Avengers headquarters? I hope so. <laughs> like, I've been waiting for many years. Um, hopefully they'll get back to my many emails. Yeah. 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 Um, so the show's just really fun, um, featuring a lot of, of the different characters uh, in little small kind of portions. Uh, with Is it a one-person show? It is. Oh it is goodness. a one-person show. So I play myself plus six other characters. Are you a super scroll? A super scroll. Yes. Oh, probably. <laughs> that's, that's, that could be an underlying thing. I'll leave it up to the fans <laughs> to decide. Um, <laughs> An alien with the power of all of the Avengers. Ooh. <laughs> At the end, I think that's kind of what I say I want to be. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, but in the show I also talk about, uh, you know, my my love of Marvel, my dislike of DC <gasps> comics. I Why know. can't we have both Marvel and DC? Like, look, I like DC. I like the I like the material. I like the characters. I like the stories. But what I don't like is the modern films that have been coming out. <laughs> is <laughs> any are... of the content that they've released? No, yeah. So I, I get very passionately aggressive <laughs> whenever a conversation about uh, you know Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman comes out because. Um, uh. They're making money off good characters but not great movies Yeah, is what I'm annoyed at. Agree. So I talk a bit about that. Oh, come on, some love for Wonder Woman. No, well, 
you know, Wonder Woman was the, on the better side, but I still think it had uh, a bit of few problems here and there. But it definitely was on the better side. Apart from ending with a spoiler, ending with a character called Chris, <laughs> a character who uh, whose uh, character name isn't Chris, but the the actor's name is Chris, flying off to sacrifice himself nobly in an aeroplane in the sky, <laughs> rather like Captain America: The First Avenger. But never mind. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was better, but I still had a couple of little problems with it, which I may or may not mention in my show. <laughs> sure, we've we've been through these every single time. There's a DC movie mm. coming out, and we, we we faithfully go in there, and I try and um, I try and keep an open mind about them. But I, I, <laughs> Rob I, tries sort of I kind to of, keep a kind of open mind. I, I feel like Charlie Brown with the football being yeah. yanked away by Lucy each time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, I wish them well. <laughs> yeah, like, look, I went into I Wonder Woman expecting it to be good because everyone was saying it was good yeah. and then I came out uh, slightly disappointed because I did go in with high expectations anyway. Oh. I was like, this is going to be the DC movie that changes my mind, um, but not quite. No, only if they flip, flip the lid and then pull the brain out and wash it in something. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's right. But, but, but superheroes are the modern religion. Mm. If, if we send up, like, the Dark Knight detective, Ooh. are we committing batsphemy? Ooh. Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. I, don't, I went, was going nowhere that Back way. to yeah. Marvel. Back to Marvel. Back to Marvel. <laughs> okay. I'll get angry. I'll turn into the Hulk in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> we, need to, we need to keep it all very above board here. You wouldn't, you wouldn't like Phil when he's angry. No. <laughs> <laughs> No. So he wore there... his torn off pants today in preparation. That's, right. uh, that's it. <laughs> uh, are there songs? There are. So um, a lot of the show is actually lots of songs. So I've trained in a musical theatre for the mm-hmm. past three or four years. Um, so that's kind of my background. I have a love of Marvel, but also a love of theatre. Um, so a lot of the songs in it are parodies of uh, well-known, mostly well-known musical theatre songs, some Disney songs in there that uh, hopefully people recognise. Um, but even if people who aren't as in love with theatre as I am come to see the show, they'll still thoroughly enjoy it because even if you just know the song's a parody, that's kind of enough to be like, I know the song has different lyrics and he's added (laughs) his own lyrics and he's saying something completely different. So it's more about what I'm saying rather than uh, the songs that I'm taking from, which is cool. The sad thing here on Zero G is that generally I know the parody... Mm of a song but I have no idea what the song itself the original like. <laughs> I remember once I had to sing a American Pie from oh yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I grew up listening to Weird Al yeah, um, yeah. Yankovic and he did the Saga Begins mm. um, Star Wars and I remember stuffing up when I was performing it in front of my class singing the Star Wars lyrics instead of the original <laughs> lyrics the better version <laughs> the better version say. that's right the better version <laughs> that's how I feel about this is a segue um no, a segue, a sidebar, <laughs> where I feel like when I think of The Shining, I always think of The Simpsons episode of The Shining. Mm. Like, I love the movie quite a lot, but, you know, you just can't separate the two. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, cool, cool. So, well, if um, I had to ask you who your favourite Marvel character was... Mm. How would you reply? I would. I would. <laughs> it's not hand- a test. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Even though he said it like it was. <laughs> Look, I have to. I, I'll confess that my favorite is Iron Man. That was the first one that came out. There you go. You it passed. Was the, it was the first passed. one that I fell in love with. However, Captain America is also like very, very close behind. Mm. So when Civil War came out, you can imagine I was like being pulled from two directions. Yeah. <laughs> my partner is a Captain America fan. Oh, uh, yeah. And I am. A pharaoh file. 
<laughs> so Civil War would have been a uh, tough time. Yes, so was uh, Infinity War as Infinity well because uh, we try not to spoil that here. No, yes. no, um, spoil-free. But nevertheless, obviously it was difficult as mm. as a Stark fan and as a, a Steve Rogers fan mm. wondering what was going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, no, I think my favourite is Spider-Man. Yeah. Because he's just like... A nerdy high school. Yeah. Oh, well, he's actually... Well, he's, he's, Friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. He's being mentored by Tony Stark. That puts yeah. him in the right camp. Yeah. I've always <laughs> liked Spider-Man anyway. And, I def- like, and I've previously not liked previous Spider-Man very much. So, <laughs> yeah. But I really like Tom Holland's Tom Spider-Man. Holland. So I've mm. definitely yeah. decided that I think he's my favourite. He's doing it right. Like Andrew yeah. Garfield was too cool. Yeah. Um, Tobey Maguire was too dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I think he's just perfect he's in, for He's it. right and got the sweet spot there for Spider-Man. I'll agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even though he's so young. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but that's all right. But that's, he's meant to be young. He's meant to be young. Yeah. Meant to be young. Tobey Maguire looked like he was 40 in the second one. Like, yeah. You know. With, um, with uh, Marvel and the theatre, sometimes they haven't done too well. Uh, Ju- mm. Julie Taymor's um, Spider-Man uh, theatrical show, that didn't go too well. They had, mm. uh, had severe problems with the, the stunts and so on. Yeah. But there's also like uh, the Broadway show Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, yeah. which... Um, is the only superhero mu- musical that I can think of. Um, and, yeah, that, that had, like, major budget overruns. You know, they have to ensure the whole cast stunt problems. Uh, the music was all by Bono and the Edge, um, but it wasn't very, in my opinion, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't very really memorable. <laughs> um, not very me- I don't really listen to any of the songs. Oh, there was a Superman the musical. Yeah, there probably was, mm. yeah. I... Need to do my history again. It's DC, like so. Why can't we? <laughs> okay, but taking it back to the, uh, the the Earth that all of us can relate to, Earth six one six in the Marvel universe. Why, why isn't there not a Hugh Jackman Wolverine musical? That would be mm, that know? would be great. That's true. Yeah, man, he should do a cabaret. Yeah. He would be great at that. He would. All right, yeah. let's write to him. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Hugh. Dear Hugh. <laughs> Please make a show about you being Wolverine and singing. Exactly. <laughs> the world needs it. They should have just added a pair of claws into The Greatest Showman, like as, yeah. a, as a little <laughs> Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, cutscene for end yeah. credits. A special, a special musical claws. Exactly. <laughs> I can see how that would work. Actually, a lot of the uh, the actors who play the main Avengers mm. and some of the side ones as well are, are quite musically talented. Yeah, well, you have to be in in a entertainment industry. You kind of have to be able to do everything nowadays. Yeah. Um, Often you're kind of famous for one thing, but then you surprise people by being able to do another. And then people are just like, why is so much talent in the one person? <laughs> it's unfair. <laughs> like Hugh Jackman. <laughs> like Hugh Jackman. But we love him because he's a lovely guy. <laughs> so what was your first, um, Phil, what was your first encounter with uh, the genre, with the superhero genre? Yeah, um, look, I'll be honest. And uh, I, I didn't grow up reading the comics myself. My first encounter was definitely through, um, would have been like, uh, the Batman's uh, 90s, 90s Batman when I was growing up in the 90s, okay. watching them. Um, and then you're going on to the Spider-Man trilogy. It has been very closely related to the movies, mm-hmm. um, which is where a lot of the my shows taken from is the films. Um, but I have always done a lot of background research into the comics because I'm always interested to see how the movies reflect mm. the yeah, comics. Of course. Um, and I'm like, oh, they took that from the comics and that's this. And it makes it all the more cool to mm. see. So I can only imagine, like, if I had grown up reading the comics, how much more I would actually enjoy the movies, knowing all the different little Easter eggs from the comics in there. Yes, it has been very fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same as you, though. Yeah. I, I sort of backfill from the movies. Like, a mm. lot of the ones... Like, I've read... 
um, like, a, you know, I read all the landmark comics, like The mm. Killing Joke and things like that, mm. and then ones that are related to movie movies, and then a lot of the new ones like She-Hulk and things like that. Mm. But generally I'd say my connection is largely with the movies. And yeah. Apart from Hawkeye. Oh, yeah. Well, it's special. <laughs> oh, no, Hawkeye's not my favourite anymore. I feel bad. Oh, no. Because I just said about that, all that stuff about Spider-Man. Oh, well. <laughs> Hawkeye's going to, you know, be I mad. Know. Somewhere. somewhere. Right, everyone's forgotten about him, including me. <laughs> somewhere on a farm in the Midwest, Clint Walker's I, making the sad face. He, yeah, just, he just turned Clint. off. With, with arrows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's making it with arrows, of course, on the wall of the barn. Yeah, yeah. like he shoots one and misses because he heard my comment. <laughs> Sorry, Clint. No, I'd sing a song with Hawkeye in my shirts. Oh, really? It's a good one, yeah. Some love for Hawkeye. Like, there's a bit of love. Like, I love Hawkeye. Yeah. I love Hawkeye and Black Widow. I think they're quite underrated. I I like them um, as a their dark past. Yeah, um, and it's cool how because they're like part of the only heroes that are kind of using just natural mm. early abilities to really fight things apart from the technology yeah. and stuff surrounding them. Yes, um, yes, yes, and no. In yeah. the MCU, it seems to be yes that they're mm. not using. Uh, well, uh, yeah, okay. Hawkeye's got a stark tech. Yeah, uh, a quiver and, yeah. and so I mean, Widow's he got was stuck badass at, before all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he is known to be the best marksman on the planet, so his mm. skills are still kind of there. They're a, quite good. Yeah, Bullseye from Spider Man would probably give him a, <laughs> a run for his money yeah. <laughs> with paper clips. Yeah, you know. So, but anyway, uh, we've got some tracking with Hawkeye there. I know. Sorry, that happens sometimes. <laughs> 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 so. Um, Okay, we've uh, we've talked about your favourite Marvel movie. Oh, I have yeah. a quick question that oh, you yeah. might not have on your list. No. Uh, what's your favourite? You said you came from a musical comedy background. Yep. What's your favourite musical? More. Oh, come on. That is a tough one. I feel like with musical theatre people, our favourite musical is always changing depending mm. on what's currently out. And I guess um, if you... Um, are in a version of something, then you probably have a soft spot yeah. for it as well. Yeah, no, like I have, I have kind of a list of musicals I, I really like. Like I was listening to uh, the new, well, kind of not new anymore, did Dear Evan Hansen came out oh, on Broadway yeah. and that's done very well. It has a great album. Um, but uh, there's another musical that's not as commercial called Parade, which I really love. It's quite dark, um, tells the story of a guy accused of uh, killing a girl and the town kind of turning against him and we don't know if he's done it or not. And it's just very, it's very well written. It yeah. sounds almost Sondheim-ish. Yeah, it's, it's um, Jason Robert Brown wrote the music um, and he's a genius. Um, like, um, but yeah, Sondheim's great as well. Love Sondheim. He is the king of musical theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- this would be a great cue for me to drag out a Sondheim track, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We're focusing on the Marvel, Sondheim. not the musical comedy. Yeah, that's, that's right. Okay. No, good, good it's idea. Email Sondheim as well. Write yeah. the music for Hugh Jackman's show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking to Phil Davies here, who is doing Marvel, an original parody cabaret. He has a one-man Avengers mm-hmm. squad, mm. and it's running from the 4th to the 9th of June, 7 o'clock each night. And uh, it's uh, at the Butterfly Club in Five Carson Place, Melbourne, mm. and you can find more details about it on rrr.org.au. So thank you for coming in today and having a chat with us about it. Uh, my Phil. pleasure. Thank you so much, Robin Megan. I almost I called him Agent Colson because <laughs> Colson's first name is Phil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, well, we, we, you know, we're an equal opportunity show, so we're going to go with a DC song next. Okay. No, that's I fine. Uh, love the material. Yes. Yeah. The movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, for ra- a rather sad occasion, the uh, the passing of actress Margot Kidder, oh. who was Lois Lane. In fact... You know, everybody has... It's like, who was your Batman? Who was your da-da-da-da-da? Mm. The Marvel characters haven't had really enough people playing them yet to, 
to do that. Um, but, you know, lower, she was my lowest line, really, from the Superman movies in the 1970s. This is John English aboard the Starship Zero-G Science Fiction Fantasy and Historical Radio, and we haven't finished yet. Oh, also, uh, Phil Davies informed me before he left that his um, Marvel parody cabaret is spoiler-free. Yes, so it's happily <laughs> so, no Infinity War spoilers, yeah. which I think is very... Probably, respectful. Probably a few DC spoilers, though, but then, you know, they sort of come pre-spoiled. Already spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I wanted to just give a bit of a, um, a memoriam for uh, Margot Kidder, the actress, an activist too. She was a hell of an act- activist. Um, she was born on October the 17th, 1948, passed away on May the 13th this year. Uh, she was born as Margaret Ruth Kidder, uh, Canadian-American actress and activist. Um, many of the other, you know, you, you Google her image and you'll get lots of Superman, mm. the movie pictures, um, but also pictures of her being arrested at various rallies and events and stuff. And, good on uh, it. Yeah, good on her. She was actually um, kind of like Lois Lane in a way. A lot of that sort of stuff happened to Lois. Uh, I think I saw her first, the actress, in a film called Black Christmas back in 1974. It was a slasher film, a very early slasher film. Um, it was quite influential, actually. But she was in um, a film that I really enjoyed, The Great Waldo Pepper, in 1975, opposite Robert Redford, and uh, a few other films about that time, Reincarnation of Peter Proud, 92 in the Shade, until a really big movie break in 1978 where she plays Lois Lane in Superman the movie Mm -hmm. and went on to play the same character in number two, three and four, although number two she had a kind of a a step-back role a bit, but the other ones, um, yeah, she was quite solid in all of those, even if... Three and four aren't particularly great movies. In fact, <laughs> four is barely a movie at all. Uh, early signs there. Yes, well, <laughs> of, what? of what? Bad things to come. Well, speaking of bad things to come, she was in the 1979 movie The Amityville Horror. Ooh. Yeah, so she's... Um, She's got a bit, a few genre credits that I thought I just might unpack a bit here. In 1986, she was the voice actor, the narrator in the English language version of the Japanese animated series The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And she did a few um, voice acting gigs over, over time as well as a lot of television roles that she'd sort of um, come out of... Uh, where was she? In Montana, I think she was living, and she'd toddle up to L.A. and just do a little television series role, a walk-on. Uh, she returned to the Superman franchise. There was two episodes of Smallville Aww. where she played a character called Bridget Crosby who was working for uh, Dr. Swan, who was played by Christopher Reeve. Nice. So, yeah, they, they, do, they do the feels there sometimes. Um, she was in another horror movie, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 3. Ah. In 2009. And she won an Emmy for Outstanding Performer in Children's Programming for her performance in R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour. So, you know, a bit of an all-rounder. She had uh, significant health issues mm. uh, over time uh, and I don't want them to eclipse uh, the um, the brilliance of her performance as Lois Lane, basically. And the activism, really. You have to go and look that up and find out how much... Uh, she did. She was even known, you know, perhaps one of her most famous roles is Baghdad Betty. Oh. <laughs> that was the um, 
the uh, disparaging appellation that the media gave to her when she was protesting against the um, the Iraq War. Oh, the so, media. Yeah, not our media. No. We, are, we are like a meteor shining out in the dark as we crash to Earth <laughs> each week. On oh, no, I don't care. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, farewell to Margot Kidder. Um, yeah, I just um, thought she was my Lois Lane, but she was many other things beyond that as well. This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet zero. G comes last. Z waits alone and it's not for a thing. Yeah, the theme to the television show Cheyenne, a bit of an extended version there. That's quite pleasant. Yeah, Johnny Gregory and his orchestra and the Michael Sam singers from TV Western themes and played that to, again, uh, memorialise um, a US American actor and singer. Mm. Although I don't actually have any of his songs today, I'm still sourcing uh, one that I like. <laughs> well, I actually had a fine singing voice. It's just some of them were gospel songs and I just thought, oh, I'm not really into those today. Anyway, uh, Clint Walker. The actor was born Norman Eugene Walker. Uh, that's why you said Clint Walker before when we were talking about Hawkeye. Yes. Because, yeah. Yes, it was like, on the brain. Why does he think his name's Clint Walker? He was born in Hartford, southwestern Illinois. And uh, born on May the 30th of 1927 and has just passed away on May the 21st, aged 90. Uh, he was a towering actor, six feet, six inches tall. If you ever see any pictures of him, still pictures and so on, next to somebody else, if the person isn't naturally mm. tall themselves, they're standing on a box. Almost two metres. Yeah. And he was broad too. He had a big barrel chest and he worked out and he was uh, an impressive physique. So he was really good to play a cowboy, a big cowboy, particularly with big horses. Um, Can't remember him actually riding a donkey or a mule, but it would have been an amusing sight. (laughs) Anyway. Poor donkey. (laughs) Yeah. He had a a lot of uh, different jobs, uh, worked in factories on a riverboat, joined the uh, US Merchant Marine, um, was a bouncer, a doorman, all sorts of things. Eventually was discovered and appeared in the fantasy film The Ten Commandments in 1956. Before that, actually, he, he had a walk-on as a as a, a Tarzan-like character in uh, in one of the uh, movies just before that, but he was uncredited for that. And his main claim to fame was playing the character of Cheyenne Bodie in the series Cheyenne from 1955 to 1962, which actually established the uh, the template uh, for a lot of subsequent Western television shows, which were uh, like superhero shows back in the day. They were mm. that popular. He the, crossed the character over to uh, the um, television show Maverick in 1960 just for one episode. So that, even then it was like the Western cinematic universe. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, and and reprise the character in an episode of Kung Fu, The Legend Continues in 1995. He was also in the Dirty Dozen movie and then started a period where he was doing a lot of telly movies, some of which were good, some of which were not so good. The definition of a telly movie. <laughs> Scream of the Wolf in 1974, which was about a werewolf. Richard Matheson wrote the script to that one. Uh, and my actual favourite of these ones, uh, Killdozer in 1974 uh, from a story by Theodore Sturgeon where Clint Walker played the foreman of a crew of workers setting up an oil drilling airstrip on a Pacific island. Their D9 bulldozer gets taken over by an alien energy being and goes on a rampage of destruction. (laughs) 
Uh, and there's a, there's a Marvel connection there because I actually have the Marvel comic of that telly movie wow. sitting at home. And it just makes me wonder if Marvel was ever planning to do a whole uh, uh, Bob the Builder sort of rampage. Yeah, right. Of <laughs> you know, Dormammu's um, dreaded magic roundabout, you know, like all that sort of thing. Anyway, there was another one called Snow Beast in 1977, which was about a monster out in the, in the Alps. Uh, Deadly Harvest in 1977 as well, which was um, one of those post-apocalyptic sort of ones. Mysterious Island of Beautiful Women, Hysterical in 1983, and Serpent Warriors in 1985 sort of rounded out his uh, telemovie career. A few genre credits there. And I remember him as the the voice of a character called Nick Nitro in the Small Soldiers animated movie a bit later on. He also had a considerable singing career with this fairly standard cowboy voice but and they actually use that in the series a lot too he uh, they find reasons to make him a singing cowboy <laughs> so yeah sad to say that uh, clint walker is no longer with us and i thought that we might um uh go straight into our star wars um uh thing here talking about solo mm-hmm. uh but we'll give you a little tiny uh, reminder of where you are I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero-G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. Yeah, we call today's episode Solo a Hands Drink because we're going to look at the the new standalone movie, Solo, a Star Wars story. Mm. Tagline, the movie no one asked for. <laughs> oh, that sets the tone, doesn't it? <laughs> it's directed by Ron Howard who came in and mm. pinch hit at the last moment. Uh, he must have done the lion's share because there's not even a shared credit. He re- left. He replaced the directors Philip Lord and Christopher Miller, um, who actually have got some pretty worthy credits. They had Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the Lego movie, uh, and they also co-created the television series The Last Man on Earth, Yeah, which I have enjoyed. I just wonder what happened. Well, you know, they, they'd done four and a half months of filming. They were three quarters of the way through principal photography. Mm, so mm, they had to actually mm. done quite a bit. That's been amicable because they still want to work for, uh, for the big Disney dogs, as well. Yeah. So, uh, and, in fact, they are actually going on to uh, producing a Miles Morales animated Spider-Man movie. Ah. So, you know, still in, in the game there. And probably more work with uh, Donald Glover. We know Ron Howard, of course, uh, as the director of Grand Theft Auto, Splash, Cocoon, Willow, mm. Lucasfilm connection there, Apollo 13, Ed TV, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Beautiful Mind, The Da Vinci Code and its two sequels as well. Uh, so he has actually got considerable chops there in terms of uh, doing genre movies. Well, I don't know. As a, as a can of Solo, I thought this was fairly flat. Yeah, look, I was bored in the first few minutes. Then I wasn't as bored. Then I was bored again. <laughs> yeah. Then I wasn't as bored for the rest of the movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That wraps it up. <laughs> the end, you know. No, no, no. Like, I mean, 
maybe let's preface it a little with, I mean, how did you go into this? What were your, what was your expectation level? I had no expectations uh, because I, I did not like the last mainstream Star Wars movie. Uh, this one, I was, I, had, I thought maybe, you know, they managed, I thought Rogue One is actually one of the best of the new Star Wars films I'd seen. I mm. said, maybe they can do that. And, I mean, that had its own directorial issues too. Yeah, they, they have problems with that. Um, one of the big problems, I think, uh, it's a space caper film. So, mm. really, basically, you've got the story of young Han Solo. Yeah. Uh, and how he becomes a, a criminal and, you know, le- learns how to pull off a heist. And it's like a heist film without all the fun stuff that comes in a heist film. <laughs> That's a very good way of saying it. I think it also suffers from the fact that it's late off the launch pad for that Subgenre. Yeah. I mean, we've had two Guardians of the Galaxy movie, their turn in Infinity Wars. Ant-Man is a better heist film by Ant-Man, far. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how many other bunches of interstellar thieves, you know, from Firefly? Yeah. There's just so I many. I mean, the thing is, though, like, I'm happy for that jo- for that to continue. Like, I love a good space heist. Yeah. I don't think it's anything that's ever going to wear out. It's welcome with me as long as it's done well. Hmm. Um. And I just don't think it was fun. There's a couple of sequences uh, where things achieve escape velocity. For mm. the, there's a there's a what, what I call the very bad day in the Imperial Infantry, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I kind of liked, uh, where we find out the fascist fanaticism as exhibited by the Emperor's stormtroopers. It really provides no substitute for intelligent tactics, yeah, and it never has in Star Wars, you know. So uh, there's a space train heist, which I thought was quite energetically filmed and yeah. well paced. Um, although still, here we are. Chris Evans has hijacked trains twice in his movies. You know, so. And I just... It wasn't giving me anything new. Mm. Um, there are a couple of other moments I thought that, that kind of kicked in, but then the story started staking, taking itself very seriously in the third act. Far too... The whole thing took itself far too seriously for something that's meant to be about one of the, like, most fun characters you to follow, you would think. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, and they took... You know, they went to the trouble to knock off Han Solo in the first of the new movies, and I'm thinking... Yeah. Yeah. Where's the... Why do we need... So let's do a prequel. Part of what I think, too, is, like, we've seen a young Han Han Solo before. Like, the original films, I just... I don't know. It felt very weird to me. And there was a lot of nods and origin story things and in-jokes that I hated. (laughs) I just didn't like some of the... You know, yeah, the little so the, catch lines that are, and you're meant to be funny, or but I just was like, the, I, the iconography. You're embarrassing yourself, yeah. film. Well, that's fu- that's funny because actually afterwards I, I thought about that and I thought I see those in Marvel films, for example, mm. a lot, uh, or Star Trek films, and I usually find them charming. But in this case, they felt clunky. That's what I mean. Like they weren't executed. Like there was yeah. a few lines and a few different things where I'm meant to be a nod or an in joke. But I just felt like it was like someone trying way too hard mm. and it just felt awkward. Yeah, and I mean, the, the nostalgia was kind of there. Um, but, yeah. There was a few scenes where I saw a glimpse of what this idea could be if executed properly, like kind of the fun origin of Chewie and Han Solo and like some of the high stuff and like, you know, oh, he's a wisecracking larrikin. But they just it was so thin on the ground that... And I think I had a problem with some of the casting too. Oh, which like uh, which casting? Alden Ehrenreich, I think. Um, I don't think he makes as convincing a hand solo as uh, Chris Pine's Captain Kirk. 
Uh, uh, and I'm wondering if he's leaving himself... I don't himself, think either of them are great, to be honest. I wonder if he's leaving himself room for this inevitable sequel, prequel sequel, um, you know, to become more more of the cynical rogue that I'm not, Han Solo is. I Maybe. I don't think... I, he actually didn't make me as furious as I thought. Yeah. I don't think he was that good. <laughs> Would that it were so simple. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to practice that so often. I was, I was actually expecting him to be a lot worse, Yeah, to be honest. But... Um, I wasn't getting too much of the Han Solo vibe. Then. No, and I didn't really understand, like, like, obviously we'll do no spoilers, but, you know, Amelia Clark is obviously in this Daenerys Targaryen. Um, she's in this film as a character called Kira. Mm. Their dynamic was weird. Like, there's some points where I was like, I don't think you're reacting properly. This feels odd. Um, their whole, that kind of setup felt weird to me. Yeah. Also, like, the chemistry was quite limp. I mean, Woody Harrelson had the most chemistry of anyone in the film. Actually, oh, yeah. no, that's a lie. He was scene stealing a lot of the time. Donald Glover, I did like. Mm. Yes, yes. Actually, uh, I mean, uh, Woody Harrelson plays a, um, a world weary, or more than one world actually, mm. a, a solar system weary um, soldier of fortune, basically. Uh, and Harrelson really nails that. I thought. Just, I mean, he's done it plenty of times yeah, before, so that's fine. Yeah, he plays a character <laughs> called Beckett, which is um, why am I finding that amusing? No, no reason at all. It's just one of those names that you get dropped into the Star Wars universe where they have all the odd names and suddenly mm. there's someone called Beckett. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think, huh? Okay. But actually he based a character on Long John Silver from um, Treasure Island, <laughs> although he doesn't actually have a parrot and a, a, and a crutch and a hat, funny hat. Um, I did like pretty much everything I saw him in in, the, in, the, in every scene he was in. Mm. So that was good. Mm. And he has a, a kind of a half-ass sort of mentor relationship with Han. But it's all dialed in so half – it's half-baked, all of mm. it. Donald, not, not his fault. Let's, Donald Glover loves him as Lando Calrissian. Yeah, I think – He was absolutely perfect there. Great choice, had fun with it. The comedic lines that he was given actually like – properly were executed. There were so many lines of comedy, and I use air quotes around comedy, that just fell so flat. Um, and, I mean, it's probably the other two directors are comedy directors and they realised no one in this movie was funny and so then their whole vision didn't work. Well, they were trying to make it funnier. And Well, that's it. Like, And then they couldn't because they're working with a bunch of limp fish. I think, yeah, I think Donald Glover was was by far... I, uh, I I liked... Uh, God, there's even a few characters that I just thought were totally no point there I, being. I kind of liked L337, the droid. I didn't. You didn't like the droid? No. No? no. Nothing on um, Alan Tudyk's droid in Rogue One. No. Like, no, don't try true. to be as funny as him. <laughs> oh, they were trying to get some um, things about droid rights there and, you know. But, again, it was half-cooked. Like, it just wasn't fully thought through or it wasn't given enough time and space, I don't think. I think um, Junas Sutamo playing uh, Chewbacca, he's still doing a reliable performance as the, you know, the sort of the uh, the new Chewbacca mm. or the old Chewbacca or mm. both in this case. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, what can you say of Chewbacca? He's got, <laughs> he's got the Wookiee English going on yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I also liked uh, Paul Bettany playing Dryden Voss. 
Um, he isn't given enough time to develop the character much. Yeah. But He's he not seems... given much to do, but he does okay with what's there. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of spoiler characters that we can't talk about because mm. I checked and they are actually spoilers, mm. so we won't talk about those. Uh, who knew? <laughs> uh, although um, one of the characters, one of the... Um, uh, what's his name's uh, Beckett's uh, gang is mm. called um, Rio Durant, and John Favreau voices that character. I was wondering who voiced that character. Yeah, so who voices go. the robot? That was the uh, robot. The L L three. Oh, Phoebe Waller Bridge, a British actress, which you can tell from her accent. Uh, I, I thought the production design was pretty good. Uh, you know, it, it, it was quite convincingly Star Wars. Mm. You know, some broken down ships and robots and the costumes were fun this time, I thought. Yeah, and I mean, they had the most fun with Lando's stuff, obviously, oh, yeah. as you should. But Kira had some cool outfits and stuff. Yeah. <sighs> I, I like some of the designs for the uh, Imperial Infantry. It was mm. very World War One. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what they were going for. I think Ron Howard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I can't say this was – it doesn't give me any real buzz out of the film. I come out going, yeah, all right, you know. Um, so I'd give it a, a, a maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe. You know, look, if you're, if you're a, a red-hot Star Wars fan, obviously you're going to see it. Uh, you may find that the nostalgia – pumps it up a bit more for you than it did for me. But then it could be that it kind of ruins it because it kind of, you've got nostalgic expectations and then it sort of stomps all through them. Mm. I just thought at the end of the day, it wasn't very exciting. No. Like even if you just look at it as a movie with characters in it, I just didn't think the plot or the pace pacing was good or the acting was particularly engaging or the dialogue was particularly good. So. No, the dialogue was just... Just it was dialogue. very flat, yeah. all all round. Like there was no good, no good. <laughs> I'm trying to remember anything that comes out of it. It wasn't a quote, but um. I actually didn't feel that negatively about it when I came out. But hmm. the more I've sort of mulled over it, it was, it was a wasted opportunity. I think I'm just thinking. Sorry to go to the Mar- Marvel thing again, but just think of the um, the opening sequence of Guardians of the Galaxy two. Yeah. There was more joy and thrills and mm. ridiculous humour and, and uh, you know, just just panache. That's what I mean. Like, even in the first couple of scenes, I was a little bit snoozy. And that's not how you... No, not for a that's Star Wars not, film. That's not what you want at all. No. Um, so it's disappointing. And I went in having very little expectation whatsoever. So... And this is the, the, uh, the 12th Star Wars film. Mm. People are going, what? You can't say it's a 12th Star Wars film. This, this is only the 10th. But um, surely we have to count the two Ewoks, Telebovies, oh, Caravan of Courage and Battle for Endor. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> also, there was, some, there was a thing, the thing that uh, particularly puzzled me. Um, they're supposed to have dumped all of the, the novels, the comic books, mm. um, all the tie. Yes, it's all not canon. It's all not canon. And yet there are some things in here that definitely come from the Star Wars expanded But universe. it's probably then they do that so then they can change it or make that whatever they want yeah. without being tied to, you know, like reintroduce it as something fresh maybe. Mm. I think one, one particular thing I, I had issue with, they set up um, the early years of Han Solo on the planet Corellia, mm. which is where they build Star Destroyers, which is kind of interesting. But they don't actually go anywhere with that really at the time. And, and I, I felt like they didn't 
give me a reason for Han Solo being the way he is later on mm. uh, too effectively, you know? Well, um, it's not even like, it's not an origin story, but it is an origin story, but it doesn't really do anything that origin stories do. Mm. But then it doesn't shed that skin and do other exciting stuff without the shackles of an origin story. So it's just kind of sitting in the middle, half doing a bunch of stuff. All right, that's it for Zero G for today. Thank you, Rob. And thank you, Megan. And also thank you to Elizabeth McCarthy, our talks host, and to Phil Davies from the marvelled parody cabaret show. And Joe Bernadick is coming up next with Astral Glamour. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.